Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hank Presents. I'm so glad to have you here and so grateful that you are listening and a part of this podcast community. A couple of things I want to let you know about before I give you an episode of a live event we did at the Bootleg Theater in Los Angeles. This was a first for me and a the first for 2017. It was a live talk where I did a collaboration where the first talk you're going to hear is with my friend Syrah. Syrah has an incredible story of living in a nudist colony and experiencing incredible trauma in her life and then going to being homeless in Los Angeles. Fast forward all the way to winning a Grammy for the song Bangarang with Skrillex. So you're going to get an incredible window into her life and into her experience of dealing with the fire that comes to us from life. So I want you to hear that talk. And then right after Cyrus spoke, then I gave a talk called There Will Be Fire. And so this is our live event and I want you to taste it and get a feel for it. It was our first ticketed event, which I'm so overwhelmingly grateful that people actually purchased tickets. We did these free events as often as we could and as much as we could. And then the venues were on to us that our crew doesn't drink that much. So they wanted us to do tickets. So we're on to tickets. The next event we're gonna do, in case you missed this one, is on April 11th at the bootleg. Would love for you to join us. Would love for you to be a part of that. I think you'll have a total blast. It's gonna be really fun. And my guest, I'm not gonna text you tell you who my guest is. I'm gonna announce that next week. It'll be give me a good excuse to tell you about it again. But April 11th, save that date at the bootleg theater in Los Angeles. You can find tickets on hankfortner.com and we'll have some more information there. Two things I wanna ask you about um, before, or ask you to do before you hear this talk. You can fast forward this if you're like, screw you, man. But if you are open to doing something, it'll be really super fun. The first one is um, Amazon Smile is a program where basically Amazon donates 0.5% of all your donations, of all your purchases. It donates it to an organization of your choice. I would love for Adopt Together to be your organization of choice. So my request is if you don't already have something or if you don't already run a nonprofit or haven't already done it, if you could go online and go to smile.amazon.com and sign up for what's called the Smile program, and then you just search for your nonprofit, you can find us. Look for adopttogether.org as one word. And then we are, a that is like our alias. Our official 501c3 name is called Hoping Hearts. So if it comes up as Hoping Hearts Foundation or something like that, that's okay. That's like our parent organization. And then our brand name is adopttogether.org. We would love it today as the recording of this. They're actually giving away 5%. So if you're listening to this right now and it's fresh, today's the day. Go on, create it, enroll. We'd love it forever. The second thing I'm gonna ask you to do is if you would, leave a review or a comment on this podcast. Not only does it make us feel good, but it makes it a whole lot easier for me to get guests and get really cool, sexy people for you to meet and for you to hear us interview on. Um, I've got some big asks out there, some really cool people, some of my heroes. I'm reaching as far as I can and uh, really excited to have some of this crew on the podcast. So that'd be really helpful. Just drop a review or hit a star on there before you leave. Um, would be so great. So grateful for you guys to be a part of this. Can't wait to see your faces on April 11th. I love giving the talks, but I love getting to hang with you. So come hang out with us on April 11th. But until then, may you enjoy this talk, this conversation with Syra and myself called There Will Be Fire. Check it out. You ever wonder what your life would be like? What will you wish you would have done? Get after it already. What's life without a little adventure? We get one chance.
the unknown, a hope for something more. This behavior can be classified as typically hazardous. I call it an adventure. Welcome. Let's get started, shall we? Hi, guys. Uh, I'm going to hold two microphones right now. Hi. Uh, well, my name is Hank, if we haven't met yet before, and I am so glad to see you here today. Um, I, this is such a fun experience for me to get to do this. Uh, so you have no idea what a gift it is for you to be here and give us the gift of just being present and being fully you and being here and entering into this space with us. Um, so I want to introduce to you our speaker tonight who's going to open us up and then I'm going to uh, close us down. Uh, so you're free to leave at any moment, okay? Their doors are not locked. You can go away whenever uh, you want to. But I, I was on tour this summer, and uh, I was on tour with two pop stars, and while we were on the tour, there was a part of it right beforehand where we did a speaking engagement much like this, although it was like three or four times more chaotic, and everyone was under the age of 19 years old. So if you can imagine me in a room of like 318-year-old girls, it was amazing. And then in, uh, in, one, in our Las Vegas stop, they said that there was going to be a speaker, and her name was Syrah that she was going to come and she was going to give a talk. And we'd had a speaker in each city throughout the, the, the whole tour. And so in Vegas, I thought, okay, here comes another, another speaker, another speaker. And they said, yeah, she's not going to get here until tomorrow night because she's flying in with Skrillex. And I was like, me too. So it was fine. Uh, so we got off the plane together. And, and w while we were walking around, I met her beforehand. And we walked around and we just started talking. And the whole time, like within three minutes, I just had the whole feeling before I'd ever even, even seen her speak. I just thought, I'm going to help this person. I'm gonna be this person's friend. Uh, this person and I are gonna do things together. Have you ever met a person where you felt like we've known each other for a long time? Elizabeth Gilbert describes it as you, <laughs> you, <laughs> like you've seen each other for a long time. That's what Syra is in my life. Uh, she's just been an amazing person. And then when she steps up to speak and you hear her story, I wanted you to hear her story. If you didn't come because you know Syra, if you came because you know Syra, you're like, get off here, dude, hurry up. We got a friend to, to see. But if you came here, my hope is that you could be introduced to Syrah and hear her incredible and powerful voice and her unbelievable story. So would you help me welcome your friend and mine in the most gangster and amazing way? She is a rapper. She is a coach. She is a speaker. She's the black guy in all the Skrillex songs. She's, she's unbelievable. You know, I don't even know what ethnicity is. she is. You know what I mean? You can't tell if she's Korean or black or white it's just like she's just there do you know what i mean so you're gonna have a blast so would you please welcome with me the most gangster welcome you can possibly muster please welcome syra to the stage hey hi guys how you guys doing i kind of like like i feel like i'm not gonna touch you but i might do you know what i'm saying that's fine yeah rap hands a little bit of rap hands um, I just want to thank you guys so much for coming. Please make some noise for Grace and Hank. Yeah. Um, this really honestly means a lot to me. I've been speaking around the world uh, this past year, and it's kind of funny because I'm really nervous in Los Angeles because you guys, like some of you are actually my friends, and I was like, so I can't lie. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, like I was in Brazil with 10,000 people and I was like, this will be great because you guys don't speak English. Um, but now I'm like, damn, they speak English and they know uh, the truth. So that's rough. Um, but I just want to take a moment, if everyone could close their eyes for a moment. I just want to 
breathe in the moment of being alive right now and breathe out taxes, elections, whatever's been happening in your week. I want to breathe in the moment of being one with the universe. And I want to breathe out all the insecurity, all the loss, all the pain, all the anxiety. And just one more breath, I want you to breathe in this moment. And I want you to send your energy to me and to Hank and to anyone in this room that needs it right now. Okay, okay, are you back? Hi, okay, thank you guys. I felt it, I was like, damn, I'm gonna save somebody. Uh, <laughs> so I grew up like most of you um, in a trailer raised by nudists. Um, I had a very idyllic childhood. Uh, my father shot heroin and my stepmom was a taxidermist. If you don't know what that means, Google it. Google bad taxidermy, actually. Do me a favor, it's gonna change your life for real. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but you know, so I grew up in a lot of insanity and um, I grew up in a lot of chaos. And so I think that, you know, regardless of what happens, um, I latched on to ideas, right? I latched on to these core beliefs based upon not knowing any better and based upon everyone else not knowing any better. And I've been meditating on um, what, I, what I'm supposed to talk about. Cause like, there will be fire. Like, you know, like it's gonna be lit. But other than that, I don't know what it means. You know what I mean? I was like, what is that? So I've been meditating all week and I, I was like expecting some like profound moment, you know, like I was like, God, just strike me down. I'm gonna save everyone. And um, what came to me over and over again was what if your problems are not a problem, right? What if your problems are not a problem? And so what that meant to me, cause I was like, what does that even mean? What it meant to me was what if everything that's happened to me was actually my greatest asset? What if everything that happened to me meant that I was chosen? And what if everything that happened to you, all the things that hold you down in your mind, what if that actually was meaning that you were destined for greatness, right? And so my core beliefs are the things that I've had to work through. So I grew up in this trailer with these nudists and they were nude. Um, and it's always like people that shouldn't be nude that want to be <laughs> nude. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, well, maybe do a crunch. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> It's like kind of aggressive, you know? It's like 8 a.m., like chill, like ease into it, take a sock off. Um, but you know, so I grew up in a lot of chaos and for me, like my first escape was illusion and fantasy. So I lived in my head and I would tell myself these stories and the stories were, um, someone's gonna come save you. And the stories were, somebody loves you. And the reality of it is, this is where I started to form this idea that nobody loves me and the world is not a safe place and I will never be okay. And I held on to that idea and I perpetuated that. You know, what I found out um, as a result of you know, being on this planet for a while is that I don't necessarily have a choice in what's happened to me, but my choice is in the way I perceive it, right? And so what happened was I took that information and you know, I would have to walk like three miles to go sell peppermint patties so that my dad could shoot heroin. Um, and I would walk and I would walk and I would walk and I would walk and I'd walk back and he'd shoot heroin and then I'd take care of him. And eventually my father died of an overdose. And all that did was feed into the idea that I am not okay and you're not okay and I'll never be okay. Um, I proceeded to move to New York. I got arrested a lot. Um, growing up I was also you know, sexually abused, which happens on a nudist colony. Um, <laughs> too soon, okay. <laughs> Nobody likes these jokes, that's fine. 
I've worked through it, so it's gotta be funny, otherwise it's just very depressing. So anyway, <laughs> you know, um, I moved to New York. I ended up um, getting arrested. I got into drugs, I got into gangs. I ended up selling drugs, selling guns, stealing cars. I know, you're like, are you sure? <laughs> yes, I am, I did that. I did that, I shaved my eyebrows off. I drew them on up here as a chola. I was always surprised. Yeah, yeah, I was like, hey, Don. Yeah, so that's why Hank doesn't know what nationality I am, because I just found out like three years ago. Uh, and so I proceeded to live out of that idea. What I'm talking about is whatever the struggle is, right? Latching on to a core belief and then living my entire life based upon the idea that I'm not enough and that the world is not enough. And because I believed that, that became true for me. You know, um, eventually I got off drugs, thank God, because that was a rough look, you know what I mean? Crystal meth, it's not cute. Uh, there's nothing cute about it. I'm like, let me build your vacuum. Um, I still have like a little bit of that in me, do you know what I mean? I had like three vacuums in my house like last week and someone's like, did you relapse? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm a hoarder. Um, but I was like, I'm gonna fix them all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so I kept moving along in my life, living out of this idea in my head, this idea of who I was and what I thought I was. And I was so attached to the idea of being a victim. And it took me a really long time to let go of that idea. I mean, it took me a really long time. And subsequently, as a result of living that lifestyle, I ended up getting abducted by three men and held captive and raped. And all that did was feed into the idea that I'm not enough. You know, um, for me, the journey has really been about what am I telling myself? Right? What do I believe is true about me? Because what I found out is that I can't be sick and well at the same time. Right? And when I, when I decided to change my life, what happened was I, I, you know, I like came out of this world. I was living in Inglewood with 12 men. We were writing our fake names on other people's walls and I was fighting the revolution <laughs> against the reptilian empire. Nobody? Okay. It was very important and they needed me. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I have to go, but si se puede, okay? Because we're gonna be all right. And so I walked out of there, and I walked out of there, and, and, and that's why there will be fire. I think sometimes we lie to people, right? I came into this world, and some of us came into this world, and our, you know, our parents said, everything's gonna be great, and you're the best. And guess what? That was a lie. <laughs> Uh, no? Okay. So, uh, but the truth is, is that life wasn't meant to be peaceful all the time. Life wasn't meant to be, you know, um, painless. You know, a diamond was originally a piece of coal that was under a lot of pressure. But I didn't understand that at the time. And a lot of people, you know, said this was supposed to be easy. And the truth is, is that life has not been easy. But I would take it any day over living, you know, like my greatest, you know, weaknesses or those low moments in my life or those things that I really believed would destroy me have actually become the most miraculous thing about me, right? Goldfish grow to the size of their tank. And so I had to get a bigger tank. And what happened was I came out, I was 17 years old, I had no eyebrows, which it's rough in life without them, you know. And, uh, and everyone's like, statistically, you're not gonna be an adult. You should be a prostitute. Um, you know, because, 
Because what happens when you've been molested or grew up on a nudist colony or dropped out of high school seven times over, or settled and settled, or come from gangs, or you know, sold drugs, or cooked crystal meth in a trailer, or accidentally kidnapped someone, I know you guys are all relating to all these points. <laughs> when those things happen, right, people say, well, that person can't do this, right? And it doesn't matter what the story is because we all attach ourselves to a story about who we think we are. It doesn't matter what the story is, but the idea is I can't do that. And so I had to start breaking through the I can't do that situation. And it took me a long time, but what I found through just showing up every day slowly and slowly and slowly, I started to change. And I had to change my thinking because if I didn't change the way I thought about myself, I wouldn't get any better. And so I had to let go of those old ideas. And uh, you know, <clears throat> I think I was 19 years old, I was homeless, um, but no, I was, I was living on a cabin, uh, in a cabin on a lake, right? And that was actually a garage in East Los Angeles. So I'd wake up every day, you remember this, you came to visit me, what's wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> You would come to visit, I'd have like seven jackets on, I'd be like, welcome. Um, there was a car next to me every morning, but I woke up with such gratitude because that really is the difference, right? I just came back from Africa. Demi Lovato took me to Africa um, for my 12 years clean and just to go on vacation and go be of service to people. And um, I thought, I was, I was so arrogant. I went there and I was like, I'm gonna help these people. <laughs> I didn't um, at all. That's just like some really like American thing. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, I'm gonna save you. You need me. How'd you get along without me this whole time? And um, you know, I got there and I mean, we did help. We built, we built schools. We didn't build schools. We built one school. I like built some concrete, let's not lie. So we built like a part of a school, like a corner, okay? And um, you know, I was like, I'm gonna help these people. I'm gonna help them. And what I found is that I didn't help them. What I found is that they helped me. Right? They changed my, my experience with my own life. And it was actually really funny because here's the thing is I don't get to figure out where the message comes from. I don't get to figure out what's going on. I just have to be present for that moment uh, because what I learned was gratitude through them. They're so grateful. Um, my time is almost up. I just want to tell you guys a story. So my life was very tragic and I was really, I held on to this idea and I really believed that I couldn't be in a healthy relationship. I thought I was incapable of succeeding in life and um, a, a myriad of other things, you know. Um, but I ended up winning a Grammy, which is incredible. And what that was was just, you know, there's three things that I've done. It's perseverance. Right? Perseverance, I just show up whether I think I'm failing or not. I just show up and I just show up and I just show up and I just show up. Whether I feel good or bad, I just show up, right? The discipline, just showing up. And the other thing is being of service and helping the world and showing up for other people. Um, but I want to tell this story really quick. So my dad obviously died of a heroin overdose and I was very close to my father. He was a great man, a terrible father, um, <laughs> like not the best. But he did his best, and uh, so two years ago, me and my mom go to Italy, which is a miracle that we have passports. Um, <laughs> like just, you know what I mean? I'm like, I can't believe they're letting us out and back in, this is crazy. And so we go to Italy, and I woke up on December 29th, and December 29th was my father's birthday. And on that day, you know, my sister struggles um, 
with a bunch of things, but drugs being one of them. And on that day, she had 60 days off of drugs. And I woke up with such gratitude. Like, I felt so grateful for that moment of waking up in Italy with my mom on my father's birthday. And so, you know, I'm like praying and talking to a God I believe in and, and doing all this stuff and like really connecting. And my mom wakes up. Now my mom is incredible, but she's like at 12.42, we're gonna look at the castle. 12.43, eat a snack. 12.54, <laughs> make eye contact. And I'm like, I've been in LA too long. You know what I mean? I'm like, you're harshing my mellow. <laughs> um, so she's like really freaking me out. I'm like, you need to chill, okay? So we get to this like ferry and we're going to this island and she's like having a panic attack because we're gonna miss the thing and I'm like, mom, there's a castle behind you. Okay, get in the moment. <laughs> and she can't. And so we finally get to this island. Guess what? My mom is right. Everything's closed down. <laughs> yeah, don't tell her I said that. Um, so you're not right, mom. No, I'm just kidding. Moms are always right. Uh, so anyway, we get to this island, everything's closed down. I speak um, a little bit of Italian and, you know, chola. And so I figure out that there's only one restaurant open and it's like over the river, through the woods, under a tunnel. I'm like crawling on my hands and knees. And we end up in this place and there's no one in there, right? So we walk in and I sit down and all of a sudden this man in a suit comes in and he's got a little bow tie and he's got a guitar and he walks over to me. And he says, I'm supposed to play this for you. This is for you. And he starts playing this song. And I start crying. And my mom starts crying. And at this moment, I know that this song is for me. Right? That everything in the universe has lined up for this moment. And this song is for me. And I have no idea what he's saying. But he finishes the song. And we go back. And I go on the internet, as I always do. <laughs> And I type in the name of the song. And the song is a song that a father wrote for his daughter. And the lyrics are, I love you, I'm sorry. I love you, I'm sorry. It's just a chain that lives in my veins. But I love you and I'm sorry. Now what I want to say about that is that in my mind, because I didn't get what I think I deserved growing up, I settled every single day of my life and I kept myself in a box without any um, you know, grasp on how I could get any better. And when I started to shift my perspective, because everything comes down to perspective, what if my problems weren't a problem? When I started to shift my perspective, I was able to have this healing moment with a man who has been dead for many years and have that closure and that peace. And that's the beautiful thing about life. And the beautiful thing about fire is I don't get to decide what happens, but I get to choose how I see it. So I just want to thank you guys so much, and I'm going to give this back to Hank. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, we interrupt this uh, message for uh, a word about a couple of ways where you can get connected. Isn't Syra amazing? I'm so grateful that she came and that she told her story. Her Instagram, if you want to follow her, or if you want to find more information out about Syra, is Syra says at S-I-R-A-H says. You can find out more information about her and keep following her and cheering for her because she's just a dear, dear friend and an amazing human being. Second thing is I want to let you know that you can join our podcast email list or you can join the my email list, the hankforder.com email list. I send out emails sometimes once a week, sometimes a couple times a week. Always only ever helpful and informative stuff that's easy and quick. So you can join the email list at by texting the name Hank 
888-262-66866. Or you can go to hankfortner.com and just drop your email in there. It's really easy to unsubscribe if you're like, not my speed, not my style, man. I don't take offense to that at all. If you jump in and then jump out, we have, I have a lot of people who will jump in and then they come back and then they jump in and then they come back and they leave and whatever. I'm totally good with it. Um, we're all finding our way. So uh, join the email list by texting Hank to 66866. And now you can hear my talk called There Will Be Fire, which was a is a really, really amazing way how it worked out for my talk to be part two of Syrah's. So here it is, There Will Be Fire. Let me give that to you. Wow, can we thank her one more time just for sharing her story? Wow. You see what I'm saying? She's amazing. Yeah, I was raised by nudists too. We just were homeschooled, so that's like how that whole thing plays out. Um, well, I'm so glad you guys are here tonight, and I'm so glad that you got to hear Cyrus' story, and I'm so glad for so many of you for being here in this place. I want you to know before I even begin and before I even start, I do my very best to picture your faces, because I do my very best to try to imagine what you're going through when you walk through these doors, that a whole lot of you bought tickets. By the way, thank you for doing that, uh, and the bootleg thanks you for doing that too. And the Downtown Women's Center, who, we are, who this is a proceeds show for, thanks you for doing that too. Um, but here in this room, I try to imagine that you got tickets and that you parked somewhere. Anybody have trouble parking? And that somewhere in your life that you came and maybe you had a fight with your wife or your husband today, anybody just, just nod your head, that's all. <laughs> we know. And maybe you just had a few rough things happen and maybe you're remembering some stuff and maybe it's just really busy and maybe there's lots of things going on. I just imagine that so many of you are here tonight and there's some fire in your life. So if you're here, just so we know that we're not alone, if you have any fire in your relationships, and when I describe fire, I mean fire as like um, the things life does to you when you think it's mad at you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the, the fire meaning the heat, meaning the struggle, the anxiety, the worry, the drama, all that stuff sort of slamming at you. If you have any fire anywhere in your life, could you just raise your hand just so we could look around and see? Okay, good, we're all in good shape. <laughs> You're not alone. See, when I was a little boy, I tasted fire for the very first time. I watched a social worker and a police officer drag my little brother out of our front door. Couldn't do anything to it. And then I watched my family sort of recoil from that, and then we brought another child into our family through foster care, and then we watched the policeman and the social worker take them out the door again two years later to a next of kin. And then I watched over and over that this would continue to happen over and over, and in my mind I decided as a 10 or 12 year old boy, fire is a bad thing and I never wanna see it again. So I crafted a whole personality around making sure that I would never experience the fire. I made sure that you like me. I made sure that I could follow the rules. And if I didn't follow the rules, I, I made sure you liked me enough not to punish me for breaking those rules. And I did everything I could to try to avoid those, that fire. And so I found my way through things. And so when my friend said, we're gonna jump off this bridge and into this river, I was like, no thanks. And my friend said, if you just smoke this, or if we just do this, we might get into a little bit of trouble. I just go, you know, me and fire, we don't really get along much. So I did my best to try to hide from that stuff. What that means is that I was a really, 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 really anxious kid. Anybody grow up an anxious kid? I grew up a really anxious kid. I grew up afraid of everything, pretty much. Because in my mind, anything that was gonna cause trouble was just all that same thing, that ugly fire. As I got older, what I did is I aligned myself with people who would take the heat. So I aligned myself with mentors and I aligned myself with people in any situation where I knew if the fire comes down, it's gonna come down on somebody else and I'm not gonna have to take any of it. 
And I just put myself in that position. And in my whole mind, all I was doing was doing my best to avoid the actual hits and blows of fire that life is handing us. But I was wrong. Because see, two years ago, I left that W-2 life. Anybody, ever, anybody walk away from that W-2 life? You know what I'm talking Some of you are like, what's that mean? Yeah, that's the, like your job. Um, <laughs> you leave that W-2 life and you go into the, let's see what the wild new world has for us life. And I stepped out and there's no one to catch the fire for me. And I realized I was getting a different kind of fire all along. Because sometimes if you're not getting the fire that life brings you, you're sometimes getting fire in your life and in your experience that's the fire that comes from inside you that tells you that you're maybe not living that whole life that you were made for. That maybe there's more out there. That maybe there's something else. It's that beat inside your chest that maybe there's something else out there. Or you, get, you have that, that other fire that just becomes worry and anxiety and trying to keep everything together because you're just trying to avoid the fire and that in alone is another way of suffering. And so what I want to introduce to you tonight is three ideas about fire, four things to be afraid of, and then a little invitation. Are you guys up for that? Are you guys with me? Yeah. Okay, good. I can, I can barely see you guys in the back, even though I have my glasses, which it's amazing. I thought like LA was getting a new layer of smog all over the world. And then I put these glasses on and I was like, HD is all I could think. Like it just feels like super HD. Movies are a whole new life for me. So I want to introduce you to three ideas about fire, four warnings, and then an invitation. In order to do that, we got to talk about our brains a little bit. How many of you know that I'm an amateur neuroscientist? Okay, amazing. You don't want me to operate, but I've got, I know just enough to be dangerous or confuse you, okay? There are three parts of your brain. There's a frontal cortex. Everybody put your hand on the front of your forehead. You know that emoji of the hand in front of the forehead, my new favorite emoji? That is your most advanced part of your brain possible. This is your, your neofrontal cortex. It means that all the complicated things that you say in your life, all the things that you deal with, every creative thought or idea has come from this part of your brain. Everybody put your hand on the back of your head. This is the part of the brain that tells you when a cougar's coming after you that you need to eat or that you're hungry or that you're mad and the one that gets your heart beating faster so that you can run away for safety. Right in the middle, there's a thing called a hippocampus. Everybody say hippocampus. The hippocampus decides. That's the one that decides when you face fire and when you have complicated things come in your life, that's the part of your brain that decides whether or not that's a problem to be solved or something to run away from. Now the problem to be solved is using your neofrontal cortex. It means that it's using the part of your brain that can solve complicated issues, that can connect seemingly un unconnected things and help you find your way through things, that can connect to things like empathy and gratitude, like Syra described, that can look at a car when you're waking up next to a, a Michelin and go, man, I'm just so grateful for this place I live. That is a frontal cortex activity. Your, your, your reptilian brain, the back of your brain, is telling you when it's time to run. You ever walk into an elevator and you feel a little weird about the person in there? Or you ever been somewhere and that person sort of gave you the chills? That's your reptilian brain saying you need to, leave, you need to get away from that person. That's your reptilian brain saying it's time to go. The problem is we've confused the two. And that tonight, what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you into three ideas that if we hold on to those ideas, you and I can actually engage the fire in our life by keeping the reptilian brain really, really quiet. Because the reptilian brain is really good if someone's coming after you and is going to hurt you. Your body's flooded, your hippocampus decides, your body's flooded with cortisol and adrenaline, and your liver gets involved and drops some glucose into your body. Drops it into your body so that you can run away, so that you can escape, so that you can get there. But the reality is, most of the things that you and I face are not life-threatening. Most of the things that we face that are life-threatening, we need our frontal cortex, we need our best thinking to be involved. So the way that you calm your brain are with these three ideas. The first one is that fire is proof of life. You right now in this room, 
the fire that you are facing as an individual. I wanna invite you to this idea which will transform the way your brain faces all the stress in your life is that fire is proof of life. When you're experiencing struggles and trials and issues and difficulties, it means that you're alive. It means that you as a human being are alive. You're feeling things, you are experiencing things. If you've ever feel hunted, anybody ever feel hunted where you're like, can one more bad thing happen to me? Ever had that feeling? <coughs> yes, nobody hunts dead animals. You're hunted because you're alive, because you're doing something. You're having issues and struggles and, and, and you're having tension and you're having things that are happening into your life because you're alive. That fire is proof of life. And when you see that struggle and you can take a deep breath and go, okay, this means I'm alive. It changes how your brain responds to it. Instead of saying, I've gotta get this away from my life, you say, ah, oh, this means I'm alive. I had this really interesting experience and it was a, a pretty wild experience at a, a yoga studio in Naples, Florida. Anybody ever been in Naples, Florida? Yeah, so I will go to this yoga studio, so it's me and my brother-in-law and like 39 trophy wives, okay? <laughs> Who are all married to men like 50 years older than us. So we were, we were a, a unique breed. And we're in there and we're, we're walking into this place and I've done, I've done some, anybody, any yogi practices here in the house? Okay, so I've done some yoga, so I figured like, oh, okay, we got this, and it's trophy wife land, so I thought, okay, this is, this is gonna be pretty good. And I thought, I walked in thinking, oh, okay, this is not gonna be hard, because I met the, the yogi, and I thought, okay, this guy is gonna probably push us a little hard, but it's suburban yoga, you know what I mean? Please, I do yoga in Los Angeles. This is like the Olympics of yoga here, right? <laughs> so I walk in, and I look around, and I think I could deadlift all these people at once. Like, I've, uh, we got this. And I stood, stood so unbelievably and overwhelmingly corrected. I've never been so embarrassed in my life. I'm just, I'm standing there and we start to do the yoga and the two trophy wives to my right and left start doing handstands for four minutes. Just, just hand, full handstands for four minutes. And it's like, okay, and he walks over and he goes, go ahead. And I think he could tell that I was sort of big shotting myself, like, oh, come on, whatever. He goes, go ahead. And I go, go ahead, what? Handstand. I, I pass. You know, like, I don't know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna shavasana for a while and just sort of, just sort of wait till this is over. And then he keeps going and keeps going and we start doing things that he started folding himself into a, a way that I've never seen an LA yogi do in my entire life. I've never even seen this kind of stuff on YouTube. Do you know what I mean? He starts folding himself into a way and then he sees and he starts leaning in and having me do it and he whispers over to me as I'm starting and as I'm refusing to do the move to spin myself and hold myself up by one toe and he goes, why did you come here? And I was like, I came here for a workout. And he's like, then why are you only going halfway? I was like, because I can't do the other thing. You know, like, I, do you want me to admit it out loud? So I started like having a conversation with him. Then he moves my body and he keeps pushing me further and further and further. And it was insane. I've never, my body's never done those things before. And I'm twisted into this crazy pretzel being held up by what I'm thinking. I'm like, I'm levitating. This is a full levitation. I don't even know what part of my body's touching the ground anymore. And he, he's hovering over him like this. He goes, where do you feel it? And I said, everywhere. <laughs> and he stood up and he goes, oh, that you would have one moment every day where you could say, I feel everywhere. And I thought, oh, that's why I'm here. Oh, that's why I'm in this room. That's why this guy's come to me. That's why I walked in here so douchey and I'm walking out so humble. Because <laughs> I want to feel everywhere. See, that's what the fire is in our life. It's feeling everywhere. It's about being alive. So this year, I had three of my friends transition out of my life. They didn't die. 
I had one friend who got married and I haven't seen him since. I have another friend that two years ago since I left my role, I haven't, I've seen him twice. Had another friend who moved away for his family and I've only seen him once. Three of my four best friends disappeared out of my life in a three month window. And if you ask me, how does that feel? I'd say, I feel everywhere about that. And then we're in this process where throughout January we get a phone call as a family. Get a phone call from, from the guy who owns our house and he says, it's time to move out. We've lived there for five years. We brought both of our girls home and I walk over to Sue and I go, hey, we're moving out. Where do I feel? Everywhere. And then we pull all the strings we can possibly pull. We find this amazing house that hangs over the mountain in the hills of Hollywood. So it's still the hills and it's still coyotes and deer and wonderland. And I, we go there and we find this house and we start walking around and I, man, did, I went nuts on Pinterest. I went insane on Pinterest. <laughs> and then we got the accepted offer. And I got the realtor called and says, congratulations, your offer for your new home has been accepted. And if you ask me, I would have said, I feel everywhere. And then we got our final, last and final inspection last week by the geologist who said, there's gonna be a really big earthquake and this house is not gonna survive it. You need to walk away. And I just went, and I started feeling everywhere again. Right now in your life, that thing with your marriage, that thing with your boss, that thing with your finances, that thing with your future, that unknown stuff, it's feeling everywhere. So when people ask, how are you doing? You can just respond very easily. I feel everywhere. <laughs> and I'm alive. Because the first thought that shifts your brain from panic mode into what am I experiencing? I'm gonna find new ways to experience all this mode to this best part of your brain mode is the thought that first, that the fire is proof of life. But the second thing that we have to be aware of and the second element that we have to pay attention to is that the fire is not just proof of life, but the fire is proof of God. See, if God does some of his very best work in the fire of our life, and it's 80% of Americans who said that when they're going through a struggle or going through an issue, that they actually start praying. Maybe not knowing to who, maybe not knowing to where, or maybe not knowing to what, but it's the first instinct. That's eight out of 10 of us on the, on, in, in this country who are saying the first thing I do is pray and I don't even know what it's to. How many people have the story that they've gone through these difficult things and they just had this overwhelming sense that God was there. And see, some of you here, you might call that your higher power, you might call that Jesus. Some of you, you did not even comfortable with any of those. You might call that the universe. But wherever you are in your journey, I want you to know that that fire you're facing can be proof of God when you search for it. That no matter what you've been taught or what you've been told or where you are, to know that right here in this moment of your fire, that right here in this moment of your struggle, right here in this moment of that thing that you're facing, that God is with you. That God is walking with you. That God is for you. That in the midst of your struggle, it'd be so easy in your mind to just go, yeah, 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 but, but God left me or God abandoned me, or if there was a God, then this wouldn't be happening on the planet or around the globe or all over the place. But in reality, it's God going, nah, I do some of my best work here. He does some of his best work in the fire of your life. Does some of his best work in that struggle that is your marriage. He does in this, some of his best work in that area of your life where you sort of feel a little panicky. Anybody feel a little panicky sometimes? He does some of his best work in those moments. There's this passage of scripture that I love. And if you've never read the scriptures before, this is a song that David wrote about God in his struggle and in his, in his, in his just absolute suffering. 
He writes these words in 2 Samuel. He said, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered them from the hand of his enemies and the hands of Saul. If this was Syra, it would have said, Syra rapped these words to the Lord. He said this, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior from violent people, he saves me. I want you to know and I want you to hear in this room, and maybe you came here just for this, con this part of the conversation, that God is with you in the midst of all that. He's for you in the midst of your fire. And that right here and right now in the midst of your life, God is going, I do some of my best work when it looks like all is lost. That's his favorite moment to show up and start shining bright. But there's a couple of things that we need to pay attention to. Four warnings that I'll say. Because even though that fire is the proof of life, and even though fire can be proof of God, it's not that all the bad things in our life are good, right? It's not that all the bad things in our life we want to lean into and go, oh good, I got fired. Wonderful. <laughs> Cancer, here we go. Like it's not exactly those things. There are some things about struggle and some things about those that can actually, that suck and you just have to call them the suck and you don't wanna live a crazy life where you're like, I love when bad things happen to me, I love when bad things happen to me. But it's that you can face those fire looking for life and looking for proof. So there are four warnings. These are four ways in which fire actually becomes destructive and stops becoming a fuel for your future. These are four ways in which fire actually becomes something that burns you and scars you instead of something that can jettison you forward to your next self. These are four things that when they're activated in your life, it actually lets the fire win or kind of cook you from the inside. You ready for these four things? Who's with me? You guys still with me? Wonderful. Okay, the first one, well, yeah, we'll just call the first one despair. The first one is despair. See, the way that fire beats us is with these, these tiny little thoughts. Despair doesn't come all at once. I know very few people who just go, it's all lost, it's all, all of life is lost. It starts out very slowly with these little thoughts like it's supposed to be easier. These little thoughts like this isn't supposed to happen to me or other people have it easier. It starts out by pointing to other people and going, look, that guy's life is going so good. Look at his Instagram, my life isn't like that at all. Look at this person's life. Look at how they handle it. They would handle it so well. It'd be so easy for them. The first one is despair. The most important thing that you and I can do in the face of fire is take a deep breath and not lose hope. The way to fight those despair moments, the way to engage in those despair moments is to start having a conversation about them. You know the best thing that a person can do for you is tell you that that thing you're thinking is crazy. Have you ever noticed that? You ever, have you ever said a thing out loud to a person and then you felt kind of stupid saying it out loud? Like now that I'm saying out loud, it sounds kind of dumb, what I was thinking about myself. You ever had that moment? That's, first, that's the first stage. The second stage is where a person looks at you and go, don't think like that. What's wrong with you? Ever had a person say that? You need to hold on to that person because that person is your best friend. That person will look at you and go, that thought pattern is crazy, stop it. Cut that out. So the first thing I want you to do is if anyone has any despair thoughts, tonight I want you to say them out loud to another human being. And you're gonna be like, well, no, I can't say that out loud. Why, because it's crazy. And you shouldn't even have the thought, but if you say it out loud, it somehow loses power because someone looks at you, look at their face slowly turning into, why are you saying that about yourself? Have anybody like that in your life? Hold on to them very tightly. The first thing you, that, that fire does when it starts to burn us up is gives us despair. And all you do is talk to somebody about it. The second thing, is invisible fire is a really dangerous thing. Fire like 
stories that we keep deep inside that we don't tell anyone about. Secrets give fire a power that it was never meant to have. Invisible fire like depression or thoughts of self-harm or that story inside your head that you can just sneak this little addiction that you can stop whenever you want and you can quit whenever you want. It's made you late for work a, f a f couple of times but you'll get over it and you'll totally be fine and it's just something that you have control of. You, it doesn't have control of you. So that invisible fire is that really, really dangerous thing called a secret. See, the most important thing you can do when you face fire is to face it out in the open. Anybody seen that HBO show, Little Big Lies? That's an, which is also an incredible book. It's a perfect caricature of what it looks like for families to hold tiny little secrets that are actually really big and destructive secrets that all it would take is for them to be out in the sunlight and it could be disinfected. So for you and me, the way that fire starts to take hold of us and actually really start to burn is we keep these little tiny secrets that turn into really big secrets that turn into things and fires and battles that we face no one knows anything about. So tonight, my invitation to you is to get that out in the open. See, fire, when it's in a tiny little space and it's held, it gets hotter than it should. But when it's out in the open, it's actually pretty easy. And when it's out in the open, it's actually pretty flat. So my invitation to you is to actually let the sun disinfect all the little secret battles that we fight. Just have that conversation with one person. One person that you know is gonna look you in the face and go, yeah, me too. I know exactly what you're thinking. I know exactly where you've been. I know exactly what you're going through. To just have that conversation. See, invisible fire is dangerous, so is despair. And the third thing is this really crazy Hebrew idea. It's called Lashon Hara. Anybody ever heard of that? Anybody have a rabbi? Your rabbi knows about it, you can ask him. The ancient rabbis had this idea called Lashon Hara. You know Lashon Hara, essentially in the Talmud, it basically means disparaging speech. When we talk about people or we talk about a person in a negative way or in a disparaging way, another word for that is gossip. Lashon Hara is, is considered one of the things that kills three people. It kills the person who speaks it, it kills the person who hears it, and it kills the person it's spoken about. See, the Talmud describes the tongue, the human tongue and words that we say, as so dangerous that God saw fit to put it behind two walls, our teeth and our lips. Because our tongue is more powerful than our hands and our eyes and our ears and our feet combined. This is the, the only part of our body, the only weapon of our body that he hid away from the world to say this is the one that you have to keep really under control. Because now you and I have the ability to actually bite our tongues. In this situation, and in when you're facing this fire, the Lashon Hara is a warning in the Talmud. There was a warning from the rabbis to say, pay attention to your words. When you and I are facing fire, when you and I are facing struggles, when you and I are facing things that we're wrestling, how you talk about it and how you talk about other people makes a huge difference in your speed and your ability to use that fire as a fuel of life. Just pay attention. This is the warning of how fire can knock us down. It, gets, it got a little depressing there for a second. Is everybody cool? Is everybody good? Okay, good, I just wanna make sure. The last one is even worse. I, we're gonna go down and then we're gonna come back up. Is that cool? Just because I feel like we gotta, we gotta hit that last one. Shame, hey! How many people love that one? That's the fourth warning of fire. You know, shame is crazy. I also actually have this, 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 this thought, and I, maybe I'm not the only person to have said it, but I'm the only uh, person I know to have said it. So if someone else said it, you can Google it and send it to me or something. There's this idea called benevolent narcissism. Okay, benevolent narcissism says the entire universe conspires so that there's a beautiful Italian man in a bow tie coming and playing you a song that your father would write you from the grave. A benevolent narcissism says that everything that's happening all around us is actually designed to help us become our best selves. 
that that person in your life who brings you nothing but chaos and drama is designed to help you purge all of the selfishness that you have in your soul. I sat down with this, um, I had dinner with this TV doctor's wife and the TV doctor's wife said, do you know that in marriage, she said, what's amazing is that even when your spouse is being awful to you, they're giving you a gift. And I was like, you're gonna have to unpack that one. I'm gonna get out a piece of paper because I'm having a hard time. That my brain is not processing what you're saying. And she said, well, they give you the gift of foil. I was like, I don't know what that means. She said, when your wife is being rude to you, and my wife never is, so I don't know what she meant, but I'm imagining. She said, if your wife is being selfish, and my wife never is, so I don't know what she was, hypotheticals. She said, she's giving you the gift of rising above whatever drama you're facing. She said, you're giving the, she's giving you the gift of being able to be the bigger person. And I was like, okay, I'm not there yet, but I'm gonna get there in my life that that's the benevolent narcissism that says everything is designed to help you rise above. There's another kind of narcissism that's even more destructive and it's called shame. See, shame is essentially the most self-centered narcissism that we can design for ourselves. Shame of I should have done this or I could have done this or that would have been perfect for my life. Shame as an idea is entirely self-centered and narcissistic because it basically says I didn't do it perfectly, which only betrays that you think you are perfect. It only betrays this precious view of yourself that you carry around shame like, yeah, but I hurt this person. And we're human and we've all hurt each other and that's where grace comes in. See, shame is one of those heavy, heavy things that is this, the opposite of narcissism. So all you have to do with the shame is you have to flip it to that benevolent narcissism and say, ah, this happened so that I can grow, so that I can wake up, so that I can take that next step. See, these are the four warnings of fire. The two thoughts of fire is that the fire is proof of life, that the fire is proof of God. And my third and final proof, the third and final idea, are you guys ready for this? Are you ready? Are, are we back? We went, we went down there for a second, so I feel like everybody needs to take like a deep breath because we were carrying some heavy burdens there. Talking, when, once you can tap like shame and secret things, it's like, boy, the air just goes, here we go. This one's a lot more fun. The fire sets you free. The fire in your life has the capacity to set you and I free. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that you are a baby in a womb. Can you do that for me? I, literally close your eyes and I want you to imagine that you're a child in a womb. You ready? And then we're gonna put like bags around you and give birth to you, I don't know. No, there's like <laughs> some weird things you do with that kind of stuff. Have anyone's been, anyone ever been to those weird things where they're like, we're gonna bag you up and you're gonna be reborn? No. I'm not gonna do that to anybody, although, I, although Syra might later. Afterwards, Syra and I are gonna birth somebody. Okay, here, so here's the deal. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine you're a child in a womb. Can you picture that? Can you imagine that? Okay, that's all I need, that's all I need. I just need that visual, and then now you can be done closing your eyes so that I don't do anything weird to you. Now I want you to imagine that I came to that child in the womb and said I have something for you. Okay, what, what do you have? I have this I have a new opportunity for you. I know you have everything you need. And I know that you have everything and you're in a safe space and you're in the perfect space, but you have everything you need. I just need you to leave where you are and come out here. And that means that you're going to have to learn how to breathe differently. You're going to have to learn how to eat differently. It's going to be bright and scary and frightening and the first human you see is going to smack you until you take until you scream. And then another person is gonna wrap you up and they're only gonna communicate to you by screaming and you'll have no idea what anybody's saying. Are you in? You'd be like, no. 
I got everything I need here. I got organs. I got a placenta. I got everything I need. What would I, what, why, would you, why would I do that? Why would I leave? But see, the invitation of the fire is the divine calling you out and saying, you can't grow there anymore. You're gonna have to come out here. But what that's gonna mean is all those things you're used to, the way you're used to breathing and the way that you're used to eating and the way that you're used to thinking and that little safe cocoon thing you're in, that all goes away. See, what the fire does is it brings us out to the new life. What the fire does, it's an invitation to set us free. I know that it sounds crazy, but have you ever had something go on in your life like Syra just described? Have you ever had something go on in your life and you felt awful about it at the time and you would have pressed any eject button or easy button to make it stop and then you look back and you're like, that actually made me who I am and I'm kind of grateful for that now. Anybody ever had anything like that happen in your life? That is what the rabbis would describe as the birth canal. That you left the womb of the other you you were and you're reborn to who you are. Right here in this room, there's so many of you that are facing fire. You're facing a relationship, you're facing a struggle, you're facing a life transformation, you're facing a leaving of a job, you're facing a, a, a financial issue, you're facing a person who's sick in your family, you're facing all these things. And the invitation, the divine invitation is to say, you're gonna have to leave that womb because you can't grow there anymore. It's your body saying, I can't fit here anymore. It's your soul saying, I can't stay here anymore. I've gotta get to this other place. See, there are so many of us that when we face this fire, the invitation is that it's an invitation to a new and brand new life. So my invitation to you tonight is to consider that all the fire and all the drama and all the chaos in your life, that all the things that you're facing in your life and the stressful things that you face, is that you're gonna let the hippocampus decide by saying this fire is proof of life and I feel everywhere. That you would face it all and say, okay, something's going on here. Some of this is proof of God. I'm gonna find out what he's doing here. This benevolent narcissism that says everything God's doing is to help me grow. And then I wanna invite you to consider that the fire that you're facing is designed to set you free, for you to be reborn. Because have you ever met people who are reborn, who've been through fire, people like Cyro have been through fire? They care very little about what people think of them. Have you noticed that? And a lot of times they're older. Ever notice how old people just have like, a, I don't, like an I don't care that's sort of a little frightening? Ever had that person? <laughs> like what I've noticed is as people get older, they just, their subtleties completely go away. They're like, I don't, I don't know how much longer I have to live. You know, they just, and when they're hungry, they say it out loud. And when they're done, they just walk away. You know? Because they have this, they've, they've lived and they've been reborn and they're done. They'll, you see it, they don't do things subtly. Like, have you ever seen an older person? The older people get, I just feel like they, they care so little about people seeing them clean things out of their teeth after a meal. Have you ever seen them? Like, there's even adults who are like, they brought, like I got a, a guy at the Jonathan Club on Sunday brought like those dental floss pick things and he's just ripping it after the meal. And I was like, that's a guy who's been reborn. He doesn't care. And all I could think about was not, that's gross. All I could think about was, I want to be that guy. I want to not care that much. I want to feel alive that much. I want to be so set free that I'm like, yo, I brought my tooth floss because I knew I was eating red meat, so here we go. And it's just in a, in a room of fancy people. I don't even care. And he's laughing and like talking to the guy on stage while he's ripping off his teeth. There's so much about you and about me that we'll only know on the other side of the fire that we'll only know if we face the fire and we go, hey, this fire is proof I'm alive. That this fire is proof that God is doing something in my world and this fire is actually designed to set me free.
So I wanna invite you to this, to this single solitary idea. Whether you meditate on it or you carry it in your mind or hopefully it sticks, that you would just say, the fire sets me free. Say that with me. The fire sets me free. That you would go about your day and your life and when there's drama or someone's calling you or getting cussed out over text message, you just go, the fire sets me free. Say that with me. The fire sets me free. That whatever you're doing as you're facing the issues and when you're looking at it, you're just going, the fire sets me free. Say that again with me. The fire sets me free. Say it a little bit louder. The fire sets me free. Say it so you feel everywhere when you say it out loud. The fire sets me free. Say it over, stand up a little bit and just say it out loud, really loud. The fire sets me free. Say it one more time, really loud. Stand up all the way. The fire sets me free. Say it one more time and like really rip it like you're like bravehearting me, okay? You ready? Say it with me, ready? The fire sets me free. I'm gonna one more time so we sound like a real cult. You ready? The fire sets me free. One more time so the people over there are like, oh my gosh, I gotta get in there. So that security shows up, ready? One, two, three. The fire sets me free. Give yourselves a round of applause. You guys are awesome. You go ahead and take a seat. We have seven minutes and I'm gonna invite Syra to come back up and join me. Uh, guys, can you thank Syra again one more time for being here tonight? And then Syra and I are gonna answer any questions you have because one of the values of being here in person, which again, we're so grateful that you're here in person. Uh, one of the goals tonight is that uh, we get to say hi to you. Um, we get to chill with you, we get to hang out. Um, this place is open for a long time and that place is open out there like crazy. So um, I'll be here all night, right, Suan? Be here all night. I'll be, I'll be Ubering home. And uh, so I'm glad you guys are here. Let's share a sparkling water together when this is over and um, hang out. Uh, Reed is gonna uh, walk around and if you have a question, just raise your hand. If you have a question about for Syra, if you have a question for me, a question um, for whatever, we'll do this for like seven minutes and then we'll, uh, let Reed do some DJing, some DJ Ricky Ticky Tabby. There's a couple over there, and we'll go from there. Hi, this is not a hard question. I just wondered what What's your was, name? Uh, Melissa. Melissa. Yes. Hi. You don't know if it's not a hard question. <laughs> I'm not very smart. Better not be. I just wonder what psalm did you use in your message? What oh, was it was, uh, that's not a hard question. See, You're right. I told you. But it's not a psalm. That's the only thing. It's 2 Samuel 22. Oh, 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22, yeah. And it's really long. I would have read okay, the whole long it. form, but it's, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Other questions? Hard ones, easy ones. Yes, ma'am, over front. Hi, my name is Joss. Um, Hi, Joss. My question is for, I guess, both of you, is how did you guys get through guys' things alone? Like, how did you find the strength to, I guess, not, or did you ask for help, or like, how did that no. I think this will probably be different for both of us because I didn't come from the same faith that Hank did, so Hank never felt alone. Did you ever feel alone? <laughs> have you ever felt I alone, never felt Hank? Alone. No, I, 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 just have, I probably have a different answer. Yeah, but no, probably. but I was always surrounded by humans. But oh, right. the feeling alone is not necessarily like a physical... You can feel alone in a room this size or twice, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I didn't really necessarily ask for help because I didn't know how to, because I really believed that it was supposed to be me against the world. Like, I thought I was Tupac Shakur. 
So it was really difficult. Like, I remember the first time someone like helped me and I was like, not today, Satan. Like I couldn't, like I just was like afraid of people. Um, but what there was, there was always this knowingness and I think, I mean, I don't know if I made this up or just like spiritual belief, but there was always this voice, this inner voice, this quiet voice that said it's gonna be okay. And so what I did was I just followed that and even, I mean, even with the music thing, like I actually thought I was schizophrenic. I like woke up one day and I was like, I'm supposed to be a rapper. And everyone's like, oh my God, you are schizophrenic because you can't rap. Um, but it was that knowingness, just that inner knowingness. And I think everyone has that. And so that's what I did until I could ask for people to be around me. But it was definitely a personal, personal journey, mostly alone. Yeah, mine was never that cool. I, I, I just didn't, I didn't do well alone. Still, as a human being, don't do well alone. I like to be by myself a lot, or I like to be in my own head a lot, uh, but I need to be around humans. So even when I'm in my own head, I need to be like in LA, around 20 million other humans. Um, and then when I'm by myself, I get a little like, wonder where the people all are. You know, like I don't do well that way. So I would say like even going through things, it's so important to have a community. It's so important to have things like AA, things like a church, things like a tribe, things like people. Because uh, I, don't, I, I don't heal well alone. That's that secret stuff that just sort of piles on and on and on and on. I agree um, with Hank, by the way. I do think that you should never be alone. I just didn't know that. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know and I mean? the people you were around were crazier than but my people. So being out. alone was like the safest place for Yeah, Sarah, it felt really so. safe. I mean, there yeah. was people living in my head, so I didn't know I was alone yeah, either. Right. <laughs> it yeah, was a party, yeah. turned up. Awesome. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm Taylor. Hi, Taylor. Um, my question is, do you believe in like fate and destiny or like the world is like planned out for you or do you think that everything you do is just making it? God, that's a tough one. Um, I believe, weirdly, like it's a combination, right? So like what I do is I really believe, because I'm narcissistic, benevolently, which sounds so much nicer, do you know what I mean? I'm a benevolent narcissist. Uh, I might be, <laughs> and if anybody, if anyone's ever said that, email me, otherwise I'm gonna like, I should I think that's all you, when you said that. it, I was like, damn, okay, I like that. It sounds better than narcissist, so I'm a benevolent <laughs> narcissist, which means I'm, I'm a narcissist, humanitarian. I do good things. Yeah, I'm a humanitarian, yeah. damn it. Uh, <laughs> Um, I think for me, a lot of it was like manifesting. So every year, and this has been going on the whole time, every year I write down what I want for the new year. And so like one year I wrote, I wanna play Madison Square Garden, right? And then it happened on the same date, a year to the date. So it's like, and, and I'm talking about like, I think it's a combination effect, but I really believe that the only limitations in my life is the ones that I put on it. So um, I don't know if that means that, you know, I believe I chose my path before I got here. I believe I chose my struggles. I believe that I chose what I was gonna do, but along that road, it's like, there's no limits, in mm. my opinion. I don't mm. The word fate, uh, it comes from the, from the Greek mythology, the three fates, were three sisters, who would like choose you, who would like live in the sky and choose your future and choose the person you were married to, and it was the fates. So almost every religion has like a phrase like that. I would say I probably believe more in like, uh, there's a Hebrew phrase called beshert, which basically means like a soulmate, or uh, it's destined, or it's meant to be. And I think there's besherts all around us. I don't think there are fates determining all of it. I think all of that power that the Greeks gave to the fates, I think uh, God gave to you as a human being. I think when Syrah says, I'm gonna play Madison Square Gardens, the power of her intention as a human being that was inside of her drove her to that space, if that makes sense. 
Um, but I also think there's like Beshert moments where you're like, that was also like meant to be in some crazy way. Does That's that make sense? So I think there's like a, a hand-holding in both our personal power and in the ability to know that there's something going on that's bigger than us. Uh, but there, it's not like 80% fate and 20% us. Um, I think it's 100% both directions. And I think you can determine your future and your life through the power of your choices. Okay. Cool, thanks. Hello, my name is Jacoby. Um, with the fire that you guys speak upon, what does it look like if you mishandle that fire or when you go to the fire and you don't do these things that you talk about to manifest the proper way to handle it? How do you, like, what does it look like when you mishandle that fire? Mm -hmm. It looks like prison for me, so. <laughs> uh, honestly, uh, pretty clear when I'm mishandling some fire, you know? Um, yeah, I think it looks, I mean, even for me now, right? Let's say for me now, right? So my sister has been really sick um, and she's, a, you know, died of overdoses like five times and come back. And so sometimes I can fall into mishandling that fire um, and it looks like depression and a lack of self-care for me now, as opposed to 12 years ago, it looked like gunshots and stabbing people. You know what I mean? So it changes, like the, the reaction because of my discipline, like the reaction changes and it changes and it changes. But a lot of times I know that I'm not living in alignment with God or with the path that I'm on when I'm struggling with very deep depression as opposed to sadness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mine looks like broken relationships. When I mishandle fire, I lose people in my life. Um, so I think my, I'm already writing a book right now that's due. My next book is gonna be on how to make amends with all those people. Um, because that's, that's probably the thing that I carry is regret, not shame, because I know I can't handle it perfectly, but the, the heaviness that I carry is the relationships in my life that are still unrested. Does that make sense? So when I mishandle fire, I lose people. That's how I always know that, all right, yeah, I did something off there. I, I screwed that up. Uh, and that's an, an alarming long list of people, an alarmingly long list of people. Um, so I'm, that, that's what it feels like or looks like for me. Cool. Thanks. Probably one more question, and then we can hang out and uh, have this conversation over Pellegrino, you know? Hey. <laughs> hey. Sir, this question's for Sarah. You're amazing, awesome, you're so cool. Um, so we heard about your background, how you went through all those struggles, but what was like the catalyst or like the moment of enlightenment that changed your path to get you to where you are now? Like, was there a point that you hit rock bottom or like, what was, where, how did you get to where you are now from, from that background? Honestly, I hit rock bottom like probably like 32 times, you know what I mean? I was like jumping off a cliff like bam, bam, bam. Um, yeah, my rock bottom was not physical, it was spiritual. So, um, you know, because I've been, the FBI had kicked down the door. The way you're looking at me is <laughs> Plus you talked about the reptilian brain and I was like, bro, uh -huh, you're with uh -huh, the government. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> I was like, I see you. She could hear the FBI coming. The man They're holding here. me down. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> so I think for me it was, it was all spirit, right? So I had all these tragic things happen and all that did was affirm my belief, right? So I believed that the world was gonna fail me and it did every time, every time, every time. Um, the reason I made a decision was I woke up one day and I looked in the mirror and it was the first time where I was sucked back into my body in years. 
and I felt this overwhelming, um, it was like I could feel the wind like blow through me, like I knew I was hollow and empty, and I really believed in my brokenness at that moment. Um, and that's all it was. It was just that moment. I think sometimes, you know, we get sucked back into our bodies and are actually present. And I hadn't been present in such a long time. And when I was present, I could not sit in my skin. And so that moment, that small moment, really changed, um, you know, the, the way my life unfolded. It's hmm. awesome. It's awesome. Guys, can we thank Cyro one more time for leading us and for being a part of this? Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Guys, I mean it. When I say thank you so much, we are so excited and so grateful to get to be here and gather. Uh, there's a couple people I want to thank before we wrap and before we hang out and bubbly water ourselves. Uh, there is a guy named Reed in the back. Reed, can you wave and say hi wherever Reed is? Give it up for Reed. Uh, Reed. And then there's a guy named Mason with a camera running around here. Where's Mason? Uh, there's Mason right there. Can we thank Mason? Unbelievable photographer. If you see any photo on my Instagram, it's probably Mason's. So uh, Mason is a total stud. And then there's another guy who helps us. Uh, there's a guy named Kyle here at the bootleg. We can just thank the bootleg all together. That would be super awesome. They're really great. And then the guy who keeps pushing me and pushing me and pushing me to keep doing more and more and more. Should we keep doing these? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, the guy who keeps pushing me behind the scenes all to do that is this guy named Trey Manny back there. He's like the booker agent who pulled this whole thing together. So thank you, Trey. So much. Um, guys, it, it's just such a joy to be here and such a, so grateful to be here and be a part of this and um, get to do this. So thank you guys so much. How many of you, this is your very first time at a Hank Presents or what used to be called Typically Hazardous? Amazing, a lot of first timers, so very cool. Thank you guys so much. Reed's gonna roll some music, we're gonna hang out. Thank you guys, you're awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us and thank you for being a part of this live event. If you were there in person, thank you so much for buying tickets and coming out and fighting traffic and doing all those things because it was just so beautiful to get together and so great to hug you and hang out with you and be with all you guys and share bubbly waters together. So if you want to join us for the next one, join us on April 11th. We are gathering again at the bootleg and then I don't know where we're going in May. I have no idea. Uh, we've got a bunch of uh, venues that we're in conversations with. so. Um, we will let you know that as soon as we can. But April 11th, the Bootleg Theater, you can get tickets at hankfortner.com. You guys are amazing, and I'm so grateful to get to do this. And I can't wait for you to face your fire. May the fire in your life set you free. <laughs>